Welcome to Discover Library and Archives Canada, your history, your documentary heritage. I'm your host, Jessica Ouvrard. Join us as we showcase treasures from our vaults, guide you through our many services, and introduce you to the people who acquire, safeguard, and make known Canada's documentary heritage. In this episode, retired collections manager of artworks, Gilbert Gignac, and art archivist Mary Margaret Johnston Miller, both from Library and Archives Canada, join us to discuss William Hind, an artist who played a key role in the development of art in Canadian society. We explore who William Hind was, his unique contributions to art in Canada, and what is included in Library and Archive Canada's William Hind collection. Thank you for being here today, Gilbert. Oh, you're welcome. Pleasure. I know that you have studied and written extensively on William Hind. What originally attracted you to his work? Well, he is an unusual artist. He's very exceptional. Um, we have a considerable collection at the National Archives, and I had the privilege of looking at his work for approximately 30 years before I began writing about it. And I enjoyed writing about him because his work is very unusual compared to all of his contemporaries, like Paul Kane or William Armstrong. He used very bright colors, and his compositions were always unusual. He always had a a way of drawing you into his image very easily. And there was something very appealing about that. And you don't see other artists work with that kind of access. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about who William Hind was and his background? How did he get to be this person who well, he was he was, he was an Englishman. He was born in Nottingham, uh, the land of Robin Hood in Nottingham, England, and he went to an art school, uh, a very special type of art school called the School of Design. And the school was to train artists who were going to be upcoming uh, in designing um, for every aspect of English manufacturing. Right. And, of course, book illustration was an element of that. So William studied there, and he studied with um, James Hammersley, who had been a designer at Wedgwood, so he was an accomplished artist. He also, uh, the teacher had, all, his teacher Hammersley had also illustrated Canadian views based on the work of artists who had been in Canada. So William Hind um, was taught to draw and paint the truth of nature and to use his materials that way. And also was taught to uh, be aware that his images would be used for illustration. So he had a sense of design for that specific use of an image. So he was born in 1833, and the Illustrated Press was invented in 1842. It was the first time where newspapers, weekly newspapers, were illustrated with up to 30, 40 images, wood engravings. This just exploded across the world. And the f in the first year, the Illustrated London News sold over a million copies. 
like has never, never, never happened before because it was illustrated. So right. it put a lot of artists to work. Mm. What brought him to Canada? Well, his brother was already living in Toronto. Okay. Uh, his brother was teaching at the normal school. He was a scientist. He had trained at Cambridge and had studied on the continent. And he came to teach at Edgerton Ryerson's new teacher's college mm -hmm. in Toronto. And Edgerton Ryerson designed the system of education for Upper Canada, for Ontario. And one aspect of that was drawing. Drawing was important in education overall. Uh, drawing helped you study natural science. Uh, it helped you in mathematics, geometry. It also helped you learn how to write. So the practice of drawing facilitated all of this. So teachers had to know how to draw, to be able to use drawing to teach the children. Right. And then the children were taught how to draw inversely to be able to learn what the teacher was teaching. If you could draw it, you knew it. Right. So it's a method of, of um, learning, of teaching and learning that William Hine entered into. So he was only 18 years old. He was a teenager when he immigrated to Canada and he got the job. And so it's, it's, it's very impressive yes. to see that he was a young man ready to involve himself in the development of other of Canadian culture, yeah. uh, young children at school and also mature teachers. So what drew him to start traveling? Well, it was his brother. Uh, his brother was a scientist who was a geologist, amongst other things, a chemist. Um, he was hired by the uh, the Ontario government, the, Can the Canadian government, to explore the Northwest because the country was changing at mm -hmm. the time. And so he left teaching. He took a secondment away from teaching to do this over a summer. And he went out west. And it's always been a mystery why his brother didn't accompany him oh, to do the illustrations. Yeah. And we were never able to fish that out in our research. But it's very probable that the government would not allow an artist to travel with the exploration um, team. The team was scientific. It was to not to create pretty pictures mm -hmm. of the place, but to get solid statistical information about the Northwest, right. which they wanted to amalgamate to the rest of Canada because they were already talking about Confederation at the time. So this was 1857 and mm -hmm. 58. So we do know that William quit teaching at the teacher's college. And we think that it was with the ambition of going with his brother and of course, when his brother finished his work, one of his talents was that he could put all this diverse information together in one publication for the government. Right. So that MPs could take this report, read it, and get a clear picture of what the Northwest was, what it constituted. Uh, so there were 
And there were maps, there were plans, there were outlines, there were geological specimens, there were uh, studies of society, the complex society in the Northwest, like the Métis, mm-hmm. um, the Hudson's Bay relationship within the community, the various religious communities that were out there. Mm-hmm. So it was a very comprehensive study. And William um, should have been there to make the drawings. But I don't think the government would allow it, would pay for it. And so Hind had to get his information, his visual information otherwise. But when everybody returned, he gave all the visual information he had to his brother, and he said, make me large paintings. And he did, and they were exhibited. Uh, They were sent to the government and submitted, and he was paid $100 for producing 20 large pictures based on the visual data supplied to him. And so he hadn't even been out west, and yet he produced the first biggest exhibition about the west for Canadian people. Mm-hmm. So he was very, very capable as an artist yeah. in many more dimensions than just sitting in nature and drawing a landscape. He could... Um, he could summarize and he could reassess a visual document and reinterpret it. So this is, he hasn't even left Toronto yet. No. So what happens when he, what, where did he go? Well, he went out west um, three, four years later in 1862 when a large group of about 150 immigrants from Eastern Canada decided to go out west. And they were drawn there by the discovery of gold in the Caribou in um, southern central BC. And of course the gold rush uh, was well publicized in newspapers and it attracted people from all over the world. And people usually arrived by boat Right. From Australia and from Europe and from China and from Russia and South America, um, they would arrive at Vancouver and then and Victoria and then take off from there once they got their kit together. But this group of Canadians decided to go across the country. And so they took you, it could take you up to five months by boat to get there. Very expensive. Yes. And if you went overland, took you two months and they took off 150 of them and left Winnipeg in Red River carts and oxes and on horseback uh, and they crossed the prairies and he drew every day so when you look at his overlander sketchbook which is preserved in the archives page one starts in Winnipeg and the last page is a view of the Rocky Mountains. Wow. So it is a remarkable document that we have, and it's all dated. So we can then take a map of the prairies and literally dot every the map with every single page of the sketchbook, and we know exactly where scenes were taken. And he tells, he shows you how they traveled, how they were dressed, um, how they they entertained themselves, how they set up camp, 
how they fed themselves with uh, buffalo meat on the prairies and they they showed the, he showed the journey across the flat across prairies the straight to the rockies he continued to draw after that uh, uh, we don't have a sketchbook of the continuation through the rockies until he got to victoria but we do have a lot of drawings okay. and watercolors and oil paintings of his his circuit there. Yeah. So this was a time in 1862, five years before Confederation, that Canadians from Eastern Canada immigrated out west. The immigration out west was usually done through Hudson's Bay yeah. via the Hudson's Bay Company. But to leave Toronto and Montreal, ordinary people and across the prairies, it was, that was quite quite remarkable. Yes. And there were songs composed about that. Some people who journeyed there kept diaries, which we use also in conjunction with Hein's sketchbook. They complement each other. Right. Now, he wasn't the official artist, because it wasn't a government uh, project. And so there was no designated official artist. He happened to be an artist who used the opportunity to travel with the group to be able to draw. Right. Again, always with the eye to possible publication right. of his views to tell people, yes, you can do this. We can do this as a country. We can access the interior of our country in ways that could not be done before. And so the sketchbook is absolutely remarkable. And so he accompanied them. And it was with the security of being in the group that he was able to draw and paint along from starting from Winnipeg through Saskatchewan, through Alberta, through the Rockies, through British Columbia, straight through to Victoria. And then he lived in Victoria for about a decade and decided to come back. His brother was living in Halifax then. And so he crossed the country from sea to sea, all the while painting again. So he went back painting. This is it. So he, he, he literally crossed the whole country twice. And he did, the paintings and drawings that he did really described the country very solidly at the time of Confederation. So in the time that he went out to the Pacific and came back to the Atlantic, Confederation had occurred. Canada became an independent nation state amongst other nation states in the world. Right. So he really was, a, 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 the right first historian to write about him called him the Confederation painter because of that. Hello, Mary Margaret. Hello. Thank you for being with us today. Why is William Hind important to Canadian history? Well, I think there are a couple of issues that you can look at. First of all, his importance as an artist, just as uh, part of the development of art in Canadian society and his significance purely for his skill and master, mastery of art. But he's also important, particularly for us at Library and Archives Canada, as um, someone who provides documentary evidence of the development of Canada, the progress of Canada. In particular, um, at the time, his works were being um, used as the basis for lithographs, which illustrated a number of important books published by his brother, 
Um, and he also sent artworks directly back to England and Scotland to encourage immigrants to come out to Canada. Right. Um, so he's important at the time in that sense, even though he was not very well known, he's important as p- providing these illustrations. And then later on for generations of historians and geographers and anthropologists and other researchers, he's important in providing us with this excellent source of information about um, exploration and development in Canada. William Hine was very interested in telling people about Canada, Mm -hmm. what Canada looked like and what it was about. And so his work has a very particular character. Uh, He always had an attention to telling the truth about Canada because his work was reproduced and distributed around the world. And so this was his ambition. So when one looked at his work, you always have to have that behind in your mind. You have to consider that he was trying to describe Canada to to people, not just make pretty pictures. So it's very accurate, like the it's trees, the plants, the the scenery is very accurate to what he actually saw. Yes. Yeah. And when you begin looking at his work, you begin to see the uh, detail that you don't see in other works by other artists who were around him at the time. Uh, His ability to convey not just what a landscape was, but he really gave you the whole environment, Mm -hmm. which was not a common word used then, but it's it's true. Like in his landscapes, he draws uh, the hunters in the fields, and with a beautiful sky, and all of a sudden you notice these tiny little flowers in the foreground. Well, it tells us a great deal about the abundance of nature. Right. So when you you look at Paul Kane's work, for example, he was not necessarily attracted to that kind of detail. He was interested rather in making uh, a, a pretty picture and could add and remove things. Whereas Hein didn't edit himself that way. He drew what was actually in front of him. And this was at a time where photography was being used and was challenging painting uh, painting and drawing. And the problem with photography at the time was that it could not convey color. And color is one of the most characteristic aspects of his work, the brilliance of his color. So we're very fortunate to have had Hein depict his own experience in Canada. But it was always with the intent that he would be illustrating the books that his brother would write about Canada. His brother wrote a great deal about Canada. In fact, they wanted to write an encyclopedia about Canada, about Canada which could be distributed around the world that That's would it. attract immigrants. And it never got published, unfortunately. But the whole encyclopedia was supposed to be illustrated by the work of William Hine. Yes. So he, whenever he worked, he always kept his work, with, always with this idea at the back of his head that he would illustrate this this books about Canada, mm-hmm. basically. And uh, he did once when his brother explored the Labrador Peninsula. This was Quebec, 
basically the interior of Quebec. Mm -hmm. And Quebec was always colonized around its shores. And it was very difficult to penetrate. It still is yes. very difficult to penetrate. And it was always an area that was last to be explored, astonishingly enough. Some of the rivers up to the Saguenay had been explored and mapped because of the lumbering industry right. for almost a century. But it's when you went beyond that, further north, towards Cetil, nobody had been up there except two native uh, peoples, the Montagnier and the Nascapi, mm -hmm. who lived there for thousands and thousands of years. And of course, in the north, there were the Inuit. And so Hein decided that this had to be explored. We had to, this was part of the encyclopedia, we had to know what there was there. And he had done that out west. How did he manage to draw and paint so much well, during such a short period of time? Well, it wasn't easy. The access to the um, interior of Quebec is very difficult because it's an uphill battle yeah. of going through forests. And the only way uh, in was by the rivers. And so they selected the best river, the one that connected to a river that went to the Atlantic that the native peoples used all the time. Right. But the Europeans had not access it. And so um, William prepared himself well. He knew that uh, he had to be uh, very quick because the journey never stopped. They simply went day after day after day and portaged. And so he uh, brought with him a, a visual a drawing aid called a camera lucida which is a, a tiny little mm. prism through which you look and it projects an image on a page that you can trace very quickly. And so um, this allowed him to take drawings very, very quickly. So he, he filled several sketchbooks and also did watercolors. When he returned to Toronto in his studio, he transformed these into a selection of illustration for his brother's book. And so when the book was published in London a year later, uh, just before he left to go out west, um, it was illustrated with his work in color. And this is the only book that we have that they succeeded in, in publishing. publishing together. So it's a remarkable document. Um, later scholars who did the history of the fisheries, the economic history of the fisheries, its importance to Canada, they used Henry's book as part of the history and considered it one of the finest exact studies hmm. of the state of fisheries at the time. Um, so this was a high accolade of, of how precise their work was. So he produced um, in Toronto maybe a dozen oil paintings and about 150 watercolors. And we now have a selection of about, oh, maybe 30 of his Camera Lucida drawings. But I'm sure there was much more than that. Yeah. You know, but it's what survived. Then he went out west. Okay. So he first he went to Quebec, Quebec, then he did the Overlanders. Then the opportunity right. to go out west. Do we know what William Hind looked like? Do we have any portraits of him? Oh, yes. 
uh, he made sure that we knew what he looked like because he left us nine self-portraits more than any other artist in the 19th century and they are spectacular they're small but they're all undated which is a little bit problematic but to put them in a row to be able to cover his life chronologically is a, a tricky thing which I've tried to study uh, I think we've got it but he produced oil paintings not just of his appearance but also he gave us traces of his activities he painted himself for example at his painting easel showing his palette and his brushes so he's describing himself to us not only what he looked like but also one of the primary activities of his life an oil painter he also gave us a self-portrait of himself sketching in the middle of the forest and that's one of the most amazing self-portraits because he depicts himself in the middle of the bush in the fall after he's gone hunting and he's sitting on a log with his rifle and 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 the partridges next to him and he's looking out at us and he's sketching so we all know that self-portraits involve a mirror and so when you see the self-portrait in the middle of the woods you go well where was the mirror so it's a self-portrait that is very unusual his most unusual one because it's a contrived self-portrait it's at once uh, consists of a perfect description of him but the setting had to be fabricated right so he drew the landscape and then he drew himself in that landscape uh, that self-portrait is in the art gallery of ontario the portrait of him the self-portrait of him painting at an easel is in the national archive the library and archives of canada collections but the thing with the self-portraits is that he is controlling the image he is showing us himself as he wants to be seen we did find a photograph uh, from one of the descendants uh, a kind of carte de visite that was taken in Carson Brothers studio in Toronto we think around 1862 just before he left to go out west with the overlanders right. and the descendants still own that little self-portrait but the importance of that photograph is that he didn't take it mm -hmm. so we have a view of him taken by somebody else so it's a portrait of him by another person and so it's an interesting document to be able to compare to how he represented himself with the image of how he was represented by others so do you have a favorite piece yes yes i do uh, we acquired at the archives a wonderful landscape oil painting from a dealer in new york and the work was misattributed but we knew it was hind the name attached to it was not the artist's name because william hind very rarely signed his work so this didn't surprise us but the name attached to the work was the previous owner of the painting which the dealer assumed was the name of the artist right 
um, we find out more about the owner. But it's a landscape of Sussex Valley. And, of course, Hine lived. He died in Sussex, so it was his home. And it was a depiction of this, from the top of a hill, looking down across the valley, the Sussex Valley in New Brunswick. And it's absolutely panoramic. It's spectacular. It's the whole universe, really. And in the foreground, we see farmers collecting hay. And in the distance, you see a tiny little village. You see a little white church amongst the trees. You can hardly notice it. And in the far, far distance, you see the smoke of the railroad train coming through the valley. And so you see the richness of the landscape that is just filled with the landscape of hills, filled, just covered with trees. So you can see the harvest being done in an abundance of nature under a beautiful blue sky. It's prosperous. It's prosperous and it's inviting. Mm. Uh, it's a piece that if you were in the city of London looking to go make a living elsewhere and to get out of large inner city living, you would think this paradise. And I always refer to the painting as Paradise, New Brunswick. And the National Archives is very lucky to have a good dozen of his oil paintings, which are very, very, very rare. There are less than 50 in existence, and we have about a quarter of them. So I think uh, the art collections of the National Archives form a rich representation of of Canada's visual culture, and Hine certainly was a major contributor to that. Mary Margaret, what do you think was Hine's greatest achievement? I think it's the legacy of this art, the fact that you can find these watercolors, paintings, drawings across the country. Um, He documented, you know, in Quebec, in Labrador, Newfoundland, um, Nova Scotia, out west in Manitoba, British Columbia, um, Saskatchewan. I mean, he really covered the breadth of the country, and now his works can be found the breadth of the country for Canadians to look at and learn about how the nation developed. And especially this idea of progress and that Canada offered so much potential and so much possibility. And he captured that in his artworks. So you you can find them at the McCord, at the BC Archives, um, McGill Archives of Ontario, the Toronto Public Library, um, out east at Dalhousie, all over the place. Okay, so they're really scattered everywhere. Yes, they are scattered everywhere. And that's part of the interesting um, work is putting everything together and trying to see how it all fits together. And what is uh, what is included here at Library and Archives Canada? Uh, Library and Archives Canada, we have 149 uh, watercolors, paintings, prints, and drawings um, in the archival collection. So most of them are in the William Hine collection, and they've been acquired from a variety of sources. Some came from the family. Uh, in 1937, we bought 15 items from uh, the husband of William Hine's niece. Others are transferred from government departments. For example, Indian and Northern Affairs transferred stuff to us. We've purchased things at auction. Uh, we've had stuff, we've acquired things, um, again, through connections from other family members. So LIC has been actively Yeah, it's been very active. Um, the first works uh, 
where even prior to 1937, um, the Dominion archivist, Dr. Dowdy, acquired the Overlander sketchbook from 1862. And that was the first thing that came into the collection. And then very all of these other works have followed over the years. Okay. So is, are any of the works that we have at LAC, are they available online? Yes, actually the vast majority are available. There's 145 of the 149 works have been digitized okay. and are available online. Is it possible to view the Overlanders album online? Yes, in fact, it's um, one of the special uh, projects that's on the that is on the LAC website. And what's great about the Overlanders sketchbook is that you can view it online page by page. You can flip and go through the sketchbook and see what Hein produced and um, follow the journey of these men as they made their way to British Columbia. Do you have any final thoughts to add, Gilbert? Artists who paint landscapes don't have to convey what they see. They can add a tree, move a hill, shift the river, add a canoe, put a flag up, add more branches, because it looks better in the picture. William Hine, his figures are cut off uh, in one of the major watercolors. All you see is the guy's legs. So it's like journalistic. It's yeah. like click. Oh, well, you know, I wasn't thinking of the guy lying down and resting. I was looking at the guy coming up in the center. And so what happens on the periphery is just chopped off, which is a very modern way of working. And you think of Manet and Monet and Degas. This was how they compose things. It was, um, I think it's what photography brought to a way of looking at the world. Snapshots, you just point and you get what you get. And you can then crop. But he, in fact, used that kind of framework to do his work. So it has a, um, a lots of modernity in it that we identify and recognize. And when you look at his work at first, you go, oh, that's really nice. Oh, look at the horse that's drinking water. And then you look at it again, and you, you, you say, well, you know, why did he position the horse exactly like that? It's not an accident. Like, you suddenly see the structure in his composition. It's designed. He was educated at the School of Design, right? So his compositions are, his, especially the oil paintings, the finished oil paintings, are meticulously constructed, and they hold. They hold well. Uh, and I think they always will. To learn more about William Hines' Overlander sketchbook, visit our website, collectionscanada.gc.ca slash hind. If you would like to explore Library and Archive Canada's art collection, please visit us online at bac-lac.gc.ca. On our homepage, select Discover the Collection and then select Art. On this page, you will find links to our art web exhibitions and databases. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Jessica Ouvrard, and you've been listening to Discover Library and Archives Canada, where Canadian history, literature, and culture await you. A special thanks to our guests today, Gilbert Gignac and Mary Margaret Johnston Miller. For more information about our podcast, or if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please visit us at bac-lac.gc.ca slash podcasts. 
From this page, you can also view the William Hine Flickr album found under related links.